right center net. And the scores! Manny McDonald! And over at that flame bench, there's all kinds of excitement going on there. Scores! Roll the highlight reel. Six to nothing flame. Yankees put it in the wind column. Yeah, baby, yeah, baby, yeah, baby! This is Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg and Aaron Vickers on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, we are underway this hour on Flames Talk. It's Wednesday, November 15th. Welcome to the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Save $450 on the Braun EV5922 gun safe. Now just $1450 or explore the full line of safes at calgarylockandsafe.com. Alongside Aaron Vickers of NHL.com. My name is Pat Steinberg. We are coming at you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. And we're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Vix. Wow, there's a uh, lot going on with this team, Patrick. There is, and there's been a lot of um, kind of negative, distracting things going on with this team. So to kick off this hour, why don't we uh, talk a little bit positive about the Calgary Flames? Because there has been one overwhelming positive for the team this year. There has been one overwhelming uh, good thing that has been a constant basically since the season began. And that is the way they've given young players a chance, the way that their young players have performed and grasped that opportunity. Like, think about this. Connor Zeri, we were talking about this just before we uh, kicked off this hour uh, off mic. Connor Zeri now fresh off his first multi-point game in the NHL on Tuesday in Montreal, had a goal and an assist, a primary assist, the game-winning goal. He has six points in six games to start his NHL career. He has points in five of his first six games to start the uh, start his NHL career. Martin Pospisil has four points in his first five NHL games. These guys are not just taking up roster spots here, Vicks. These guys are jumping in and helping the team in a meaningful way. And so the positive is that they've been given the opportunity. The team has gone out of their way to give the opportunity. And then the other side of that is that the players are at, this is not Ben Hanowski. This is cool. not, I'm sorry. This is not Bryce Van Boom. Brabant. This is, this is, this is guys wow. getting the opportunities and taking advantage of the opportunities. Hope I wanna... they're not listening. Yeah, that kind of feel bad. No, too. I like Bryce. He remembered my name <laughs> on day two. Think of how many names he would have learned in the first twenty-four hours of being in Calgary after that world win. He remembered my name. He also challenged me to do the fitness testing one year, and that that wasn't a thing I was about to do. So maybe you can include his name. Okay. There. So that I was really glad for that trip down memory lane. That was super. That was... And back on the rails. <laughs> Uh, here's, here's, uh, head coach Ryan Huska on Wednesday, just after an optional practice and, and was asked a little bit about what they're getting, what the team is getting from some of their young prospects right now. What has allowed some of these young players to not just jump in and kind of tread water, but be able to make an impact like they have? Uh, I, I think um, the job the guys have done with the Wranglers, not just this year, but in, in years past, have put them in a position where they're confident and comfortable in their ability and how they have to play. Um, second, I think it would be the guys um, making them feel like they're a part of it. So when they were all called up, it's not like they were like, you know, these guys are only here for the time being. I think some of our older players did a really good job of incorporating them in the group right away. So 
That confidence is a big part of it because I mean, you look at these guys. I mean, Zary seems willing to try things out there. Yeah. They often work. Yeah. Um, it's uh, you. That's one of the great things about the American League, and, and a lot of people are like, "Ooh, boy, I don't know. If players should be down there at that time," but they learn how to become players there for the most part. And then they have to come here with um, the belief in themselves and, and, and try to make that same thing happen at this level. So um, I, I think it's just the experience they've gained over the last couple of years. And coming here now, um, they're in a position where they're not just about, hey, I'm playing an NHL game. They're like, listen, I've been a pro for a few years now. I have to do something to make sure I stay here. And that's what the guys have done. So, Vix, that, that's Ryan Huska from earlier on this Wednesday. I give credit to the team for making spots available and, and going out of their way to make spots available, yep. uh, putting exposing players on waivers and not being afraid to send NHL veterans, potentially even some on one-way contracts, to the American League. So I credit management and Craig Conroy and, and his staff for saying something from the get-go and then following through on that, not making excuses for why they can't. Like, they've said something, they followed through on it, and they've been deliberate in doing so. I give credit to the coaching staff for putting players in opportunities to succeed. Connor Zeri was on the power play in day one and was put on Nazem Kadri's line from day one. And Martin Pospisil has either had Michael Backlund as his center or Nazem Kadri as his center. These guys, Matt Coronado, was given power play one time right from the get-go. So the coaching staff hasn't just put these guys on the fourth line and played them seven minutes. They've put them in an opportunity where they could succeed. But more than anything else, I, I credit the players because they have approached this the right way. They have not just dipped their toe in the water and they've come out and they have made the impact with the opportunity. Because you can be given all the opportunity in the world. You can be given roster spots. You can be given power play. But if you don't do anything with it, then it's a waste. Well, Connor Zary, Martin Pospisil are the two most recent guys who have jumped in and taken advantage of the opportunity. And I really give them a lot of credit as well. Absolutely. And they're very well deserving. And just to go back to your point about the coaching staff, putting them in positions to succeed in years past, we've seen, well, we've seen very few young players get recalled, but typically when you've seen it, it's been, all right, here's your nine minutes on the fourth line. Best of luck. Show us something. What are you going to show? You need to get into a rhythm. You need to get into a feel. If you're a skilled player, chances are you're going to show better if you're playing with skilled players. So credit to the Flames coaching staff for recognizing that when you have Connor Zary up, he needs to play with some elite talent. And the combination of he and Kadri immediately gave the Flames a scoring line. They haven't had one all year. And it was immediate. We talked about Nazem Kadri earlier and how he's managed to finally become productive. Well, you've got a 22-year-old who's played six NHL games has six NHL points, and five of those games he has a point in, as you mentioned earlier. Yep. You want to talk about Martin Pospisil, who I didn't have Zary being a point-per-game player through six games, but I certainly wouldn't have had Martin yep. Pospisil having four points in five games and, and a plus-five rating. And who are the two biggest insulators amongst forwards on the Calgary Flames? Blake Coleman, Michael Backlund, and that's where he starts, and he has success. And then, okay, you want to tinker with the lines a little bit. Instead of demoting a young player who showed really well through his first three games, first four games, pardon me, 
you don't demote him down to the fourth line. You elevate him to the other side of Nazem Kadri and Connor Zary. And again, they click. So credit to the player, first and foremost. Credit to the NHL coaching staff as well for putting them in positions to succeed. But then you've got to give a nod to former Wranglers coach Mitch Love and current Wranglers coach Trent Cull. And Ryan Huska knows this better than anyone about what a coach in the American Hockey League can do to prepare a player for life in the NHL. Ryan Huska used to have that position. That used to be his role. So credit to Mitch Love and Trent Cull for when these players get the opportunity, preparing those players to seize the opportunity that they're given and not look back. Look, and there's... There are plenty of things that are not going well with the Flames right now. There are plenty of negatives with this team right now, and and they deserve plenty of attention too. And believe me, um, <laughs> yeah. there's been plenty of that. I I, I encourage you to go listen to a post game show like Friday or Saturday. There's a whole lot more negative than positive on those nights. And even, this is a team that's three one and one in the last five. Even Tuesday was after the Montreal game. There was just as much kind of negative and um, uncertainty conversation as there was. Oh, it was good they beat the, the Habs. Is and Dark Cloud Marstrom. Yeah, that's probably dramatic? fair. Okay. Or maybe it's less of like a dark cloud, but just like a, a gray cloud okay. that is hey, an uncertain. Like, is it going to rain? Is it going to snow? Like, what is that cloud? Is it a tornado? Is that... I wish I knew the different types of clouds right now. I was going to say cumulative, cu- but that, a, that doesn't sound like is it's... Is that a cumulonimbus cloud? Is that oh a... my goodness. The only one I know. Did you um, do ever do radio, or not radio, no, uh, weatherman I, stuff? Yeah, the, in school, we did like a one-week course. Okay. I did not pay attention. Um, so there's plenty of, of negative going on, but this this really is a, a real positive for the team. I, I just went and looked while you were talking right there because you were talking about Zary and Kadri. Well, zary has got six points, and... Four of those six points, Kadri's been on the same stat line with them. Um, either assisting on a goal or Kadri assisting on, uh, sorry, Zeri assisting on right. a Kadri goal. Vice versa. Um, so they definitely have done well together. And I, like, for instance, when we're crediting the players, I knew Connor Zeri was a highly skilled player. I knew that, you know, that was something that was part of his calling card. In the Western League in Canada. Well, he was third in WHL scoring in his draft year, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Like he's an elite offensive talent back so, with Kamloops. So he's got he's got high end skill. He showed it off in the Western League. It took a little while for him to be confident to do it in the American League, but definitely started to do that last year and obviously to start this year. But I did not and and you expected at some point Zeri to be confident enough and brash enough to use that at the NHL level. His first game, it was on display at a it wasn't very even the noticeable goal. level. No, it was the almost goal that he scored. And we've seen that on multiple different occasions. And that's what, when, when we played that clip from Nazem Kadri last hour, um, I'll, I'll quickly go and uh, pull it up for you right now. But basically what he said was, is that like he's afraid, not afraid to be making plays here. And that to me is something I, I didn't necessarily expect. I thought Zary might be a little bit more tentative and, you know, you have to build that confidence to start using that high-end skill. Nope, right from day one. This is what Kadri had to say. Yeah, I, I mean, I just, uh, you know, like the fact that he's not uh, not afraid to make a play or, um, you know, kind of um, not, not so much high risk, but uh, more more so high reward. And he's, he's definitely got the skill set for it. So it's nice for me to, you know, just try to find some open ice and uh, have someone that's, you know, capable of, of finding you in, in those soft spots, and then you can become more of a, a shooter and a scorer. So, 
Um, even Pospi's done great. So that's that's what I just keep preaching to the young guys is, uh, you know, you gotta you gotta be able to show up every single night and do the same thing over and over and over again, and that's what makes you a good pro. So his line mates taking notice of it. Lots of people on the outside have taken notice of it. It's not an easy thing to do. Was there the thing I appreciate most seeing him at the NHL level? Because I did see him in the WHL and a little bit in the AHL. But he's just, his intelligence shines through. And, and as Nazem Kadri says, he's not afraid to try and make a play. But the thing with Zary that I really, really like is he knows when to try and make the high-skilled play and when to make the safe play and just dump it behind the D and go chase it. Like, he's not trying these high-skilled, low-percentage chance plays at inopportune times. He's very cerebral in identifying when he's able to attack with his skill or when he needs to, for lack of a better term, dumb dumb down the game a little bit and get pucks in deep and then go dump and chase. And the other element is he's highly skilled, absolutely. You can see it. But he's almost, he's not predictable to the defense, but he's predictable to his line to mates. To his teammates, yeah, yeah. Nazem Kadri knows where Connor Zary's going to be. Pospisil knows where, where uh, Connor Zary's going to be. Sharon Govich knew. So he's puts himself in the right spots to be predictable to his teammates, to his line mates, but not to the point that the defense goes, I know exactly where he's headed. I so that's think, what I really like. In I actually game. think there's a lot of similarities in the way Kadri and Zeri play the game. I honestly do. Neither of them are blazing speedsters. Right. Um, but they both like Kadri, that goal that Kadri scored in <laughs> Montreal. Like you don't do that if you don't have high end, like high end NHL skill. Like that play that he made to dance a player at the blue line and then to have the presence of mind to know that he wasn't in a great shooting position. Like that was a very stoppable shooting position if he didn't change the um, the way it came off his stick and the way it left his body. So he decided to dance a little further into the slot, spin, and then put that on net. Like that was, that's the goal of the year. That's for a the quasi players. self screen and the deceiving the goalie on the release and not giving him a good look at that's the goal. That's the off. best goal they've scored this season. 100%. Now, if Zary had finished in his first game, the second yes, that one, that would have been the goal. Of the, but yeah, no uh, no argument from me in terms of what the goal of the year is from the Calgary Flames. It's that Nazem Kadri one. And they, they both are. They, they both use that. They both are actually very decent at, uh, and, and I would even go beyond decent. They're both strong at, um, getting past the the defensive blue line or into the offensive zone and and entering the offensive zone using skill and with possession. Um, I don't think there's any. I, I think you can see very very clearly that Zary's played a lot of center in his life, playing on the left side of this line. I just I think they're very similar players. It maybe not as much edge with Zary as there is with Kadri, but I just think the way that they go about it very similar. They've been a great fit for one another. So I just I did not expect. Connor Zary in his first six NHL games to be as confident with his high-end skill as he has been. And then just a quick shout-out for me for Pospisil, who's, I didn't realize he was as fast as he is, and he uses his size well, and he sees the ice better than I would have originally anticipated. So good on him. Two goals, two assists for four points. And we but, have not seen his edge yet. No. And I that's, thought, the, that's the area that when that comes out, He's going to be that much more effective because he's now all of a sudden going to have, 
He's going to have guys he's, on the other team that are going out of their way to... He's going to draw a lot of penalties or power plays for Calgary. One, well, and he's also going to knock some players off their game because he, when he's at his best, you ask people who watched him in the American League... Or back in the USHL. back in the USHL, he straddles that line and many times kind of just, you know, does that uh, when you're in warm-up and like... You know, you might uh, do a little spin and you'll take a meter into the other zone past the red line and then come back. Yeah. Yeah. He does that. He does that with frequency and habitual I, line stepper. Yes, exactly. But, you know, just but not like, all the way, not over. completely over the line, but like enough over the line that you're going to have, especially in a league that values respecting veterans as much as this league does. He's going to have people going after him if he gets confident enough to start. To, to maybe unsheath yep. that edge. Yep, I I can't wait to see it because all through his draft year and junior career, and we've seen it at the American Hockey League level at times. He is a he's a pest. He can be a pest. He can yep. play that role to a T. And if you layer on his size, his speed, and mixing in some offensive touch, yeah, pretty good combination to have. A few other things to touch on this hour on Flames Talk. We'll go inside hockey in a few minutes and take a spin around the Pacific Division, which is a very busy division once again. Lots happening in the Pacific. I I can't sit here and sugarcoat. I thought there were good things in the Montreal game. I thought the Cadre line was strong. Um, I thought, you know, players, I thought Noah Hannafin another really strong game. Um, I thought Chris Tanev had a really strong game. Obviously, Jacob Markstrom yes. was was strong. The Kadri line, Zari, Zari was good, all that. So there were some definite good things coming out of that. I thought just as a team, they battled hard, and they found a way to not trail in that game and come home with a two big two points to finish the road trip 1-1-1. One, one, and one. But I am every passing day, more worried on Jonathan Huberdeau and how the hell they're going to fix this because all last year. So if you were talking to me on November 15th last year, I, I guarantee you, I would have been telling you about, you know, adjustment and let's give, give it, it 20 time, games, give, give it, it 40 X games. Amount of games. If we're still talking about this next year at this time, then it's very concerning. We're still talking about this next year at this time, and it might be worse. And I, I don't know what you do. I really, how many more different centers can you play him with or line combinations can you play him with? And I actually thought last year when he played with Backland and Coleman or just with Backland that it was pretty it was pretty good. It was actually probably the most effective that I had seen Huberdeau playing with Backland. Agreed. Not Tuesday. That line oh. was that line was underwater all night. To to finish a night where Backland and Coleman are on a line that's under 30% on the shot share and 26.9 according to Money Park. Yeah, 20 uh, I which was the same at Natural Statric. 26.9 on their 5 on 5 shot share and high danger chances 5-1 at 5 on 5 for the Ooh. opposition. That doesn't have Michael Backland does not have games like that and Backlund and Coleman together do not have games like that. They're the ever. two biggest fixers on the team and that line had an expected goals percentage of 18.8. Yeah. They got caved in. Very rarely over the course of the last two plus seasons has a line with Backlund and Coleman seen those kind of numbers. Yeah. And, and maybe it, it was just and, one game. And which is why it might aggravate you, it might aggravate the text line, but I give them more than just one game despite the result in Montreal. Uh-huh. 
to see if it was a one-off or if there's something there. One, because I don't know what else you try internally. But two, we've talked a lot about pick a line, stay with it. Okay, so maybe three, four, five. I mean, if you get the Vancouver Canucks on a Thursday night and you have a sub-20% expected goals for that line, maybe maybe you can move away from it. Maybe that experiment ends quickly. But as bad as the result was in Montreal for the trio, I'd probably come right back with it. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't. At this point, like, you need to get Lindholm going too. I almost think, and I, this, I'm still on this right. Yeah, from, Lindholm is a topic we haven't even touched. Nope, we haven't, and we probably will get to that. Uh, I think, I think this is Will's who brought this up. I just maybe, I think it was on on Tuesday's post game show. Was Derek who mentioned this? Maybe you just put Lindholm and Huberto together on a line and and see if they can't work it out together. Because Lindholm's not going very good. We know the struggles Huberto's having right now. Last thing I'll say is just, I wonder if they can figure out the power play, if that doesn't, not cure, but make some of these ailments that we're seeing with these two players, Huberto Lindholm in particular, if maybe that that doesn't make it a little bit better. Because I think specifically Jonathan, but I think probably Lindholm as well, all of a sudden that power play is a little more dangerous and they start putting up uh, more points on the power play and it's a more productive power play. Uh, maybe that gets their five-on-five five game a little bit more confident and they become a little more effective because the power play has... Remember how excited we were about the power play coming into the season and Mark Savard and you know, and then we're, we start hearing about all his different names for plays and all that type of stuff. <laughs> they were 0 for 3 against Montreal. And they have not meaningfully helped this team in quite a while. That the, the power play needs to get figured out. I don't know how you uh, necessarily do that. I don't think it's just an easy fix, but that power, Rasmus Anderson doesn't look as dynamic on it as he has in the past. And Lindholm's not shooting as much. And who the heck's their best net front guy? And Manjapani hasn't been like just the power play, both units, doesn't matter how they construct the units, and we've seen like 50 different iterations of the power plays, that is something they got to figure out. Bottom line, Huberto doesn't have a goal in 11 straight. Lindholm doesn't have a goal in 10 straight. And if you can, doesn't matter if it's 5-on-5, five 5-on-4, five, five 5-on-3. Five and I know Jonathan Huberto isn't necessarily a goal scorer, but he's only got three assists in that same 11-game span. If you can get either of those guys feeling even just, and Elias Lindholm has two assists in his 10 game goal drought. If you can get either of them or Lindholm both of them. Has two points in his last 10 games. Yes, sir. Let me uh, run the math again real quick. One, two, he's, he's pointless in nine of those 10. He had two assists against Dallas. Wow. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Boy, Jonathan Huberto's really taking the heat off Elias Lindholm right now. No doubt. Whew. So anyways, it doesn't matter if it's 5-on-5, five 5-on-4, five, five 5-on-3. Five Those guys need to find a way to start producing. And if and when that happens, you start feeling better about yourself. Confidence is a funny thing. Go get a 5-on-3 goal. Doesn't matter. Get it over the goal line. Set somebody up for a tap-in. Figure something out because 5-on-5 five five isn't working for those two. Power play isn't working for those two. I... um. It's still early. They're only 15 games in, but yeah, Mark Savard is the the guy who came in to be the the power play, the the coach of the power play. 
Here's where here here's Mark Savard's first big test uh, because we're approaching the quarter mark of the season and they need the power play. If if they're going to be a competitive team in the last seventy five percent of the season, power play is going to need to be. It can't. It doesn't need to be the Oilers of last year. It doesn't need to be a top ten power play. It just can't be a momentum sucker like it has been the last ten games or so. You will not find an argument for me on that. Your power play either gives momentum or takes momentum. And it's been handing momentum yep. to the opposition. Uh, Aaron Vickers, Pat Steinberg along with you. We're underway this hour on Flames Talk, and we're coming at you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Do you have cracks in your walls, floors, or ceilings? Visit dlbasementsystems.com for a free estimate. They are all things basementy. Flames Talk is on the air and streaming on the Sportsnet mobile app. Sportsnet 960 The Fan, Calgary. All right, let's go inside hockey on this Wednesday. Inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. This hockey season, support local. Find your all-time classics and locally brewed beers. Visit your local Calgary Co-op wine, spirits, beer today. It's uh, Pat Steinberg along with you on this Wednesday edition of Flames Talk. It's Wednesday, which means we go inside hockey with our buddy Jonathan Davis. From NHL Network and NHL Network Radio, he is our Pacific Division Insider. Lots happening in the Pacific right now, J.D. How are we doing? We're doing great. Never a dull moment out here. Yeah, it's uh, there's there's a lot. Ha- I mean, well, nothing happening in Edmonton. All quiet uh, All quiet on the northern front when it comes to the Oilers. Uh, no, they, uh, they, they've been a busy, uh, busy group the last... They have been the talk of the NHL basically all season... And uh, that hasn't changed in the last week, eh? They're making you, you guys feel good about yourselves? Well, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> it's, been, it's been rough here, too. <laughs> yeah, slightly. Yeah, look, you, you know, I, I think that, you know, what we saw transpire over the weekend was we, we saw the transfer of power beginning in Edmonton with Jeff Jackson taking, you know, this is the guy that's in charge. And, you know, I would love to have seen Jay Woodcroft be given an opportunity to, you know, give him a trade uh, before you, before you fire him. Uh, but, you know, I, I guess a trade was not something they could do. So that's the next easiest thing to do. And I don't know about you, Pat, but that was one of the most boring Edmonton Oilers games I've ever watched uh, against the Islanders in, in Knobloch's first game. I was expecting this team to come out, like a house on fire, at least play angry. And they looked really passive to me. And thank God for them, they did get the win. Yeah, well, and I guess as, as you talked about, when, when talking about Jay Woodcroft, who had a great winning percentage and you know, multiple playoff round wins, they won three playoff rounds under Woodcroft as head coach. It kind of comes down to the question, was, was this a coaching issue? Was this a coaching problem or... Is this a roster construction problem that we're talking about with the Oilers? Well, and I, you know, I guess we're going to find that out probably come, uh, you know, the end of the regular season, come after game 82, we can properly evaluate it. I mean, I know that that's not, maybe not the answer that people are looking for, but I mean, it's, it's really hard to tell. It's astonishing to me that Pat, this was a team, the Edmonton Oilers that was in the Western conference final two seasons ago. And here they are, and they're absolutely struggling. Uh, I, I, you know, I tend to believe that it is roster composition. I mean, I think, you know, look, the biggest 
for me, the big issues, okay, we, we know that Connor is, or we believe that Connor and Matias Ekholm are both laboring to some degree. Uh, but are they really any better in goal with, with Stuart Skinner and Jack Campbell than they were with Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen at the end of the day? I mean, this is, this is ultimately where, where the biggest problem lies for me. And, you know, I, if you're an Edmonton fan and, and you know, you, you're, you're taking a look at, at the roster, you're going, well, geez, you know, Leon's got only one year left and Connor's got two years left. Like, our time is now. So to me, that also heightened things about why Jay Woodcroft was, you know, and, and Dave Manson were were dismissed. Yeah, it's uh, well. And what what are we what are we looking at in terms of their upcoming schedule, JD? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's what it's it's Seattle tonight, and then they go do that trip through the Metro with uh, Tampa, and you know who's struggling like they are, Florida, uh, you know who's playing a lot better. Carolina who and Washington are both playing better. So it's not by any means, uh, you know, right now the, the, the Tampa game is, is there is the team that, you know, you, you have to beat on that schedule uh, and the other ones become a little more challenging. Yeah. We're talking to uh, Jonathan Davis, yeah. our Pacific division insider. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, no, I'm sorry. You know, and the other thing is, I mean, look, they, they realistically can't come away with less than five points on this road trip. I mean, there's no runway for this team. They, they, you know, they can't, they, they miss their opportunity to bank points. Like that, the, the Vancouver Canucks have banked points. Uh, the Colorado avalanche bank points early on. And, and, you know, and here they are, you know, and so, you know, their struggles right now, as bad as they are, they're still in a really good spot. Edmonton can't, you know, they, they don't have any points that they banked right now. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely not with the, start that they got off to all of a sudden their margin for error is super slim you're bang on on that front um it's it's and then you've got the vancouver canucks who are just having a hell of a start to the season and then on this wednesday night there's a uh, pretty big deal it's the return of bo horvat on wednesday night yeah i mean i guess you know this in some ways would be you know calgary's version of johnny goudreau coming back yep. in town uh, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what the response is. You know, I was listening to Halford, the Halford and Bruff show today. Good show. And, you know, yeah. And, uh, you know, they, they were just, you know, just talking about, you know, really, should he, should he, he doesn't deserve to get booed. I mean, he did everything for this team. And, you know, his, that one interview that he did with Shannon Hogan last year when he, you know, uh, in Long or in Long Island, you know, with the Islanders after the trade and, uh, you know, kind of seems like he took a bit of a shot at the Canucks organization. You know, uh, I get it. He was hurt. He's upset. Um, I have no hat in the race. You know, fans want to boo, let, let him boo. But, you know, there's no question what he what he gave to this team and what he had to go through through some very tough times. Uh, but I'm interested just to see, you know, how the Islanders respond because it's a huge game for Bo Horvat. And, I don't know if they were looking ahead to Wednesday against the Canucks. Maybe that's why they look very apathetic against Edmonton. Uh, but this is a big game for the Islanders who, you know, the, the, I, I know we're be talking Canucks hockey here, but that, you know, Vancouver, Vancouver's got a, a really good, this is a point. This, these are two points that they should get. I mean, the Islanders, the, the biggest shock for me, Pat, they've lost nine times this year. They're vaunted goaltending 
and their their team have given up at least four goals in eight of those nine losses. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, I, that to me is most that's a surprising thing with the Islanders. Canucks, by the way, you know, it's interesting. Um, I was doing my weekly hit on NHL Network Radio, and Mick Kern had the host over there. One of the hosts over there had you know was kind of taking a bit of a shot at the Canucks after they lost to the Leafs, and you know, are they are they really the the, the are they really as good as everybody as they're being made out to be? And, right. Look, I know you can only play who's on your schedule, but, you know, look, their wins have been three against Edmonton, Florida when they really weren't going so well, Nashville twice, the Blues when, you know, before they got hot. San Jose, they had a big, you know, their win against Dallas and Hockey Night in Canada. We talked about that last week. That was a very impressive game. But other than that, it's Ottawa and Montreal. I mean, they, the schedule has been kind to them. They've played, you know, they, they've won the games, and that's all you can ask. But they do have losses, you know. They lost to two of the better teams in the Rangers and to a degree the Maple Leafs. Um, I'm still not sure what to make of Vancouver yet. Yeah, they, uh, I mean, they've got a crazy goals for goals against differential, which I know you always uh, put a lot of stock in. They're, they are hanging around and could move into top spot in the Pacific Division here. Yeah. Uh, and, and yet, I'm, I, I, I got to say, I thought they were going to be very mediocre again this year, so I'll take an early L on the Canucks and how well they've yeah. played. But I'm I'm with you. I'm still not fully definitive on what I think they are. Yeah, and then now we'll take a look at their schedule. They've got the Islanders. They've got Calgary. They've got Seattle and San Jose. That's their next four games. Like, there's a potential for six, if not at the very least, five points they should come away with out of those next four games. Yeah. I think that that's that's realistic. So, you know, I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. Um, you know, but again, bank points now while you can, but because, you know, you don't want to let Edmonton or Calgary, you know, feel comfortable in any way. We are chatting with Jonathan Davis. He is our Pacific Division insider. Joins us from NHL Network, NHL Network Radio. Uh, well, let's move to the California teams and just quickly, any, anything. <laughs> Anything on San Jose that you'd like to you'd like to talk about, or have we said it all when it comes to the Sharks? I will say, you know, despite the despite the fact that they lost last night, they were up three two, and they did score three goals for. I was going to say they third time this year. They're up to twenty one goals in sixteen games. Like they 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 bumped their goals per game average significantly last <laughs> night. They did, but I will say they did get Stolars last night. Anthony Stolars yeah. stole that game for the Florida Panthers. Like, you know, you got to, like, that was definitely a family and friends game for, for viewing pleasure. And for oh people my goodness, like who, it was, I couldn't know, believe it. it. It was painful to watch. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was, it was painful, but that being said, so is there anything good to say they deserved a better fate last night? Anthony Stolars stole that game for Florida. Um, let's go to LA. One week ago, we were talking about that big game between the Kings and the Golden Knights. I texted you on Wednesday night last week when LA won. Yeah. Give you a little LA Kings, the, the eyes emoji. Cause like, Oh, that's a big win. Lots of people were pretty, mm-hmm. uh, feeling pretty good about that. And, uh, they're back on home ice. And then all of a sudden they, they've dropped a few games here of late. Yeah. I mean, they're, you know, I was joking that they petitioned the league after the Flyers game. I think it was to see if they could move all their games. Out of crypto. I mean, they got one win in seven home games this year. They're perfect seven and zero on the road. 
the Penguins game was their first game back from a road trip. And Pat, I, I think I've shared with you before, like that first game back from any trip, four games or longer. I, you know, to me, that's a, that's a scheduled loss. It, it didn't surprise me. I, I was at that game that night and, and God, I don't know how Pittsburgh's on a five or a six game heater right now, because they look like they, they should be collecting social security. Um, but LA just was not that good. Phoenix Copley was not that good. And I said, okay, fine. But then they, to come up with a stinker against the Flyers was inexcusable to me. And that's, that's why, you know, you, you watch this team and you're like, I don't know, what, what are they? And, you know, Kevin Fiala, uh, who has been driving Todd McCollin, and I'm sure he drove Bruce Boudreaux crazy and, and others in Minnesota crazy, you know, has been bumped away from the Dubois line and was put to play with Philip Deneau and Trevor Moore. Um, I mean, and and Dubois hasn't looked great. Quentin Byfield's looked really good, but I just I, I just don't know what to make of L.A. And you know, the, the Cam Talbot's on a pace right now for 59 games, and that's not he knows it's not sustainable. He's addressed it. Uh, I I can't believe it's we're not far away from seeing David Riddick up in up in Los Angeles. Hmm. Um, so I don't know. I mean, you know, again. Uh, there's a lot. There is a, a lot of skill in Los Angeles. There's no question. They can they can score. And uh, but you know you wa- like I said you watch those two games. That's why you know their game against Florida tomorrow night at Crypto, and then they got the Blues. You know they are playing two teams that are are playing really well right now. They've done you know they've got a great history. I think they won five straight against the Panthers. I'm interested to see what type of game we get from the LA Kings on Thursday because I'm sure Tom McCullen is not. Was not, you know, has not been none too pleased with their last two efforts, and I can't explain, you know, what's going on with the water inside the Kings locker room because hmm. it, at home, because it's something funky that you know just one win in seven home games. How about those Anaheim Ducks though? They're sitting in a playoff spot. They're in a wild card spot right now, and they they're they're turning into the early season comeback kids. They are, and you know, I was listening to uh, our good friend Jeff Merrick this morning, and. You know, I kind of agree with what he was saying and that, you know, it's nice to come, you know, to have these come from behind victories and never say die. But is it, you just wonder, like, when is it going to catch up with them? Or are they just too young and stupid to realize it? Um, I mean, they're getting really good goaltending. I don't know how they won that game last night. Um, you know, well, I do because Nashville's not very good. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, wh- whether it's Frank Vetrano, who's got those Cy Young numbers or, you know, Radko Gudis had the Gordie Howe hat trick last night. Like, who, who saw that coming? You know, in a in a one goal game, you know, where Gudis was in on the final two goals of the game. Um, you know, everything's work, going right for them. Uh, they're fun to watch. Uh, I went to the the Sharks and uh, Ducks game on on Sunday night, and okay, granted it's San Jose, but I mean, Anaheim's just a fun team to watch the way they can move the puck. Uh, and right now, hey, they're in wild. They're in wild card spot number one. Um, so you know, enjoy it and continue to try to find ways to bank the points. You know, it, the one thing, Pat, that's interesting to me. You know, I, I, I think I, I, sh- I may have shared with you before the season. You know, on average, we get about five new teams that make the playoffs each year. And as it stands right now, we've got three teams in the West that are in that weren't in from a year ago and we've got two teams in the east 
that weren't in it from a year ago. Mm-hmm. So we're on we're on pace for five. I mean, look, it's it's still early, and, and you know things are you know it's not like there's a great difference in points, but it's just something. It is interesting to see. Um, for me, I know Elliot's got his November first, and other people, you know, have Thanksgiving as a marker. But just in general, you know, five new teams every year. That 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 one kind of surprised me. I didn't realize that it was that many each hmm. year. Last uh, last stop, Seattle. What are we looking at with this Kraken team who uh, have just five wins in their first sixteen games? Yeah, you know, uh, it, it's it's a bit of a. There's just. There's just no jump when you watch this team. Like there's there's something that's definitely missing from last year. Um, you know, you guys saw it in your game. You know, saw it most recently in that four-one loss. I mean, yes, they held the Edmonton Oilers to no shots in the third period, but I think that was just as much as for whatever reason Edmonton going into a defensive shell, which I never thought would happen. It, it's you know. They, they don't look at all like that same fast uh, and exciting team that we, we watched a year ago where everything was clicking for them. And, you know, bring it up again. I mean, it, it's been a, it's been a big struggle for, for Matty Beneers this year, you know, a guy that, you know, a year plus of hockey uh, was looking really good. And right now, you know, he's going through that, that a bit of that sophomore slump this mm-hmm. year. I mean, to see, you know, where where Beneers is at, um, you know, he's finally got a goal, but he's a minus 15. Like, I that's just, you know, that, I think that just kind of tells you a lot of what Seattle is going through this year. Yep. Good stuff as always, J.D. Appreciate it, my man. We will uh, do it again next week. Is, there's always lots to talk about in this division, it feels like. So we'll do it again next week. Good stuff. All right, bud. Always a pleasure. Have a good night. You too, man. Jonathan Davis is our Pacific Division insider. He spins us around the Pacific every Wednesday, and he joins us inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. Hello, fans. Calgary Co-op has refreshed its membership just for you. Now you can shop, save, and win with the new Calgary Co-op app. Download on the Apple Store and Google Play Store as we start to wrap things up this hour. Thanks to Aaron Vickers. Thank you, Aaron Vickers. Thank you, Patrick Steinberg. He's on Twitter, at AA Vickers. Thanks to Shan and Taylor, our producers, this hour as well. This hour has been the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Save $450 on the Braun EV5922 gun safe. Now just $1450, or explore the full line of safes at calgarylockandsafe.com.